0: Uncut podcast starts right now.
1: And welcome back to another edition of the Asmund and Butick show podcast. I'm Jake Asman, and as always I'm joined alongside Dan Butick and Dan great show planned as we're going to be joined by Nets play-by-play broadcaster Ian Eagle. But the big news in the NBA today is obviously the NBA. Adam Silver just announced moments ago that they are suspending Donald Sterling, the owner of the Clippers, for life and finding him two and a half million dollars, which is the most they could find him under the current CBA. And finally, he's going to be forced to sell the team if the NBA owners agree three fourths of them that he has to sell. So it looks like uh, it looks like obviously the NBA laid down the hammer here as they should. And we're going to talk to all about that with uh, Iron Eagle.
0: Yeah, and the NBA had to do what they had to do. They could not let Donald Sterling stay involved with the Clippers just for the Clippers organization. I mean, Adam Silver's got to protect the league. He's got to protect the Clippers. And, you know, when all this stuff comes out, you know, your star player is now is under the radar now and your, your head coach is not going to want to be there. I mean, Adam Silver had to step in. This was going to get ugly if Adam Silver and the NBA didn't step in and say, we we got to take care of this. And they did. They took care of business. So
1: three-fourths of the NBA owners have to vote and to that, get And that of will him. get voted. And, of course, the NBA is going to approve that. The owners will vote. Adam Silver even said he spoke with a number of the owners before he decided to come down with this punishment. And they were all on board with this decision. Obviously, a decision that needed to be made. It was horrible, the situation that the Clippers organization organization was put in because of these comments. And, of course, the Clippers are in still, you know, still in a really competitive playoff series right now against the Golden State Warriors. Big game at home tonight that they're going to have to try and win. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. And then switching things up to one of the local teams that's in the playoffs, obviously the team that and Eagle calls games for, the Brooklyn Nets. Tough loss the other night at home in Game 4. Series tied at 2 heading back to Toronto. It's going to be interesting to see if the Nets can win two out of the next three games and try and
0: advance into the second round against the Miami Heat. And that was the game they had to win. I felt they had to win Game 4, win at home, Go up 3-1, and you have the series in your hand. Then you two, would have three games to try to win one. Then you have three one. games one to try, to, try to win one. Now, 2-2, two, two, going back to Toronto... I could see the Raptors pulling it out.
1: Very difficult to see either way here. Obviously, the Raptors have shown you they're not afraid of the Nets. And the Nets, when they play well, they're a great basketball team. There's no denying that. They had a great second half. Jason Kidd, I don't think, got enough credit for the job he did in the second half as that team's head coach. However, Darren Williams has to play better. Joe Johnson has to play better. Obviously, Paul Pierce was here to be that final chip
0: to get them over the hump. You can't rely on Paul Pierce every single night. Well, Joe Johnson hasn't been there taking the big shots. They've been relying too much on Paul Pierce. Darren Williams has been awful. And obviously,
1: when we have iron on, we'll have the opportunity to talk to him about that. But the bottom line is for this next team it's a huge failure if they don't get out of the first round and it's going to be interesting to
0: see what Ian Eagle thinks about it. They brought in Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to get over the hump. They couldn't do it last year with the team they had against the Bulls. They lost in seven games. This year, they felt Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett could put them over the top to get deep into the playoffs. Well, guess what? Joe Johnson and Deron Williams the last couple games haven't been there. Only scoring 79 points against the Toronto Raptors, they need more offensive production out of Deron Williams and Joe Johnson. They need Joe Johnson to take those big shots at the end of the games. Paul Pierce is there to do it Yes, but you can't rely on Paul Pierce at this t- stage in his career to score the bulk of the points. You just can't do it.
1: We're going to talk about Donald Sterling and break down the Nets Game 5 tomorrow night with Iron Eagle right after this.
2: You are listening to the Asman and Butik
0: Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Welcome back to the and Budic Show podcast. I'm Dan Budick, joined alongside Jake Asman. and Jake. We're joined on the line by Ian Eagle of CBS of CBS Sports. and of course the Yes Network Ian, thanks so much for coming on.
2: My pleasure, guys. Good to talk to
1: you. We're huge fans of yours, but before we get into the Brooklyn Nets and their game later on today, we wanted to ask you about the Donald Sterling situation. First question to you has got to be, were you surprised that Silver acted this quickly and decided to suspend suspend it for life?
2: No, uh, not surprised. A little surprised at just how definitive it was. Not based on the timing, but uh, the fact that it is a lifetime ban uh, that uh, clearly was the maximum that Adam Silver could go to, and now they're going to see how this plays out in the courts. Because there's little doubt in my mind that Donald Sterling is going to fight to hold on to this team in some form, whether it's keeping it within his family or uh, having a role himself. But the NBA made a very clear statement of where they stood on this. It was important in terms of. Uh, making sure that the players understood where the league was going to fall on this issue and also the court of public opinion that uh, this this was a no-brainer from the NBA standpoint and for Adam Silver obviously a huge moment in his early Commissionership taking over for a a man that had been in the job for 30 years, and David Stern.
0: Uh, And how important do you think it was for Adam Silver not only to come down with this type of band, but especially after so many sponsors pulled out from the Clippers and players going on record saying they won't play? And you know, Doc Rivers, the fact that he pulled out and said he might not coach this team, how important was it then for him to step in and make a call like this?
2: Yeah, look, I I think uh, the two could be considered mutually exclusive. That Adam Silver acted based on his strong feelings on the subject and based on taking the temperature of NBA owners. I don't think the commissioner can just step in and and make an across-the-board judgment without knowing whether or not he's got the ownership behind him. But with that said, uh, what had developed over the past couple of days with the business side of things, uh, no doubt that played a role in the equation and the players and coaches that have come out uh, so staunchly against Donald Sterling. We could talk about uh, exactly how this came about the fact that uh, this was based on what we assume uh, nefarious approaches by uh, the woman that he was involved in it's irrelevant once it became public it's out there for public consumption and the nba had to act and i'm not surprised that the players and and the coaches reacted in the manner that they did uh, donald sterling came across as a buffoon and it doesn't matter how much money you have, how successful you've been in business, uh, many successful people have outdated viewpoints. And in this particular case, uh, clearly uh, Donald Sterling uh, was going down the wrong path. And uh, there's little doubt in my mind that uh, this is not new territory for him.
1: Right, and you recently call, uh, called the Indiana Pacers game the other night against the Atlanta Hawks. Are you surprised that this Pacers team has just completely fallen apart after they looked like one of those teams that could really win an NBA championship this season?
2: Yeah, tremendous chemistry in November, December, January. They they had that look. Uh, those were the, the kind of games uh, that you look for uh, when a team is building a championship squad. And then it just all fell apart. It wasn't out of nowhere that this has happened because the team didn't play well. Uh, Post-All-Star break, uh, you really started to see some cracks in the armor, uh, their chemistry appears to be fractured. A lot of people have pointed to the Danny Granger deal. Tried to talk to some people inside the organization. They didn't feel as if it was as much the Granger deal, but there are those that believe that uh, the decision that they made uh, prior to the trade deadline, when uh, you know this team made big changes, uh, they they added too much, and I think. Ultimately, uh, they probably uh, had analysis by paralysis that <laughs> they felt like they had to add to battle with Miami, where their chemistry was was already strong. And look, Frank Vogel is is probably going to take the heat on this. If they lose this series to Atlanta, uh, there's a good chance that Frank Vogel is going to lose his job. But ultimately, uh, I think the change in personnel, Uh, really did this team in and and did a number on on their whole mental framework.
0: Uh, And you mentioned Frank Vogel's job's on the line. Is it time to bench Roy Hibbert?
2: It it might be. Uh, I I really felt going into the game the other night, Game 5, that that was not the right decision. Stick with it. Maybe he can give you something. Maybe it just clicks for him. But... uh, I don't know if you could have a less productive game than what I saw uh, he was the other night. Now he's he's somewhere else. He's a shell of the of the player that he was. And look, there's still a market for him. Uh, I don't know if he'll be with the team next year. Uh, there's there's still a market for someone that's seven foot two that's made two All Star games. Uh, I think Portland would be interested. I, I think there are, are teams like New Orleans that would show interest. You just can't teach some of the things that he has. But in terms of confidence and in terms of fitting in right now with the Pacers, I don't know if they can ever get it back. It just might be irreparable right now with him.
1: Now I am switching to the team that you spend the most time being around, the Brooklyn Nets. Did they squander a huge opportunity to you know take a three-one series advantage headed back to Toronto a couple nights ago?
2: Yeah, uh, they did. In in simple terms, uh, they they had grabbed home court advantage with that game one victory. A lot of people jumped on the narrative that the Raptors are young and it's going to take some time to develop and get the postseason experience necessary to really take that next step. And the Nets felt good about themselves. There was a confidence there. Uh, Even in losing game two, uh, I feel as if the Nets came home thinking, Hey, take the three one lead. Let this one play out with the team probably winning in six games. Now, uh, they've taken a much more difficult path. Uh, let me tell you, the the ambiance and the environment in Toronto has been incredible. Those fans have really done their part, and I expect the same later on. Uh, this this uh, city has uh, has really reacted well to the Raptors making the playoffs. Big surprise in the NBA. I think everybody felt they were a nice story, and now. Uh, You've got to give them credit for being credible and for being relevant again. uh, This was a team that everybody thought would tank this year, guys, and uh, they went out and won the Atlantic Division, and now you look at the pieces they have in place. uh, This is a strong group. Moving forward, uh, they can build something. You look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference, they have a chance to be a factor here for a a number of years with talented young big man really impressive wing players, a lead guard, if they can re-sign him, and Kyle Lowry. Uh, This team is no longer a a novelty act. Uh, They're for real, and and the Nets have certainly found that out in short form.
0: Uh, Ian, have you seen the Nets maybe become uh, too reliable and and going too much on that three-point shot as opposed to spreading it out a little bit more?
2: Well, I would tell you that post-All-Star break, nobody shot more threes, and nobody made more threes than the Nets. So it's not as if it's out of character to do that. The difference was um, in 2014, the calendar year, they've made their threes. Uh, They've been an excellent three-point shooting team. Uh, Toronto has done a good job defensively against them. Clearly, Dwayne Casey made changes and adjustments in game four in dealing with Joe Johnson. Double teams, triple teams, blitzing him. And the Nets didn't have answers. Paul Pierce took over in the third and then the rotation uh, had issues in the fourth quarter. Uh, They went six-and-a-half minutes without a field goal to end the game. Two free throws from Garnett put them up 79-74. to They didn't score again after that. So, look, they were still in a position to take a 3-1 lead, miscues down the stretch, not even getting clean shots off. Offensive fouls, turnovers, uh, things that had not plagued them in this series. They had 16 turnovers in game four. When they look at the tape and they talk about the keys for game five, I don't think three-point shooting is going to be at the top of the list. I think they're still going to be who they are, uh, but clearly they've got to have some other options if Toronto approaches it the same way, which we assume they will, and that's making sure that Joe Johnson isn't the guy that beats them.
1: Now, Ian, you mentioned the double teams that Joe Johnson has been facing. How important is it for Darren Williams to step up and play to his potential?
2: Yeah, look at the numbers. They speak for themselves. When Williams has played well in this series, they've won. When he hasn't, they haven't. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear it's a cause and effect right now. Kevin Garnett has come out publicly and said Darren's biggest enemy right now is Darren. Paul Pierce has absolutely uh, taken the leadership step in trying to show the way with Darren. I think they've been spending a lot more time together and developing more of a bond with Pierce, keeping an eye on... Uh, what's going to put this team over the top, that it can't be Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. They're just pieces, and it's really got to be Darren Williams and Joe Johnson. Uh, Darren had two points after the first quarter. He shot four of 12 from the field. He turned it over five times in game four. He took it as a personal challenge to go against Kyle Lowry in the first three games of the series, and in game four, uh, he... Uh, just was not up to the task. Lowry outplayed him. 22 points for Kyle Lowry. He had uh, just a couple of assists, but he again galvanizes that team. The combination of Lowry and DeRozan. The Nets knew that that would be the one-two punch, and they still can't stop it consistently.
0: What do the Nets have to do to stop that shot at DeMar DeRozan?
2: Well, I think you will see some adjustments defensively uh, with DeRozan dealing with him. Look, this team is really comfortable switching because they have such versatile players on the floor. Uh, Great size, not necessarily at the four spot with Paul Pierce. They play smaller with Pierce. But then look across the two-guard, small-forward, power-forward, point-guard combo. They can switch out and feel pretty comfortable with it. Uh, I do think they, on the other end, are going to have to get more out of Blatch and Plumley. One of those two guys is going to have to step forward. Not even offensively, although Blatch is certainly a candidate for that. But anyone who watched Game 4, it was obvious and blatant that when Kevin Garnett was out of the game, they just didn't have any resistance on that back line. Plumley did not play well. Blatch did not play well. Defensively, they took such a hit when KG was out of the game. So that has to change. Uh, one of those two guys will have to step forward and, and play a much larger role if, if they're going to do anything in this game five and, and send this series back to Brooklyn with a 3-2 lead.
1: And we're talking with Ian Eagle of the Yes Network. And, Ian, is there anything the Nets could do before we let you go to try and stop the huge rebounding disparity that's been so far in the series?
2: You know, in a word, no. The ironic part of it, guys, their best rebounding game was game four. They matched Toronto in that department, 43-43. The previous games, they were getting out-rebounded by a, a wide margin. So I think in this league, sometimes it becomes a little bit of a misconception that you've got to be a great rebounding team to win in the NBA. You don't. I mean, look, rebounds are off of missed shots. So if you're making your shots, there are less rebounds to be had. Miami's one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA, and they're still a favorite to win a third straight NBA championship. Uh, so, that category, I, I wouldn't make it life and death, although offensive rebounds, as we know, can just be mental killers. They are so dispiriting when teams get second chances, and, and that's where Toronto has really hurt them. Valanchunas is such a load to deal with down low and second chance points. Uh, Raptors have consistently outscored the Nets in this series. Uh, if anywhere, if there's any improvement, it would just be on, on that side of it. And, um, you know, I'm sure Jason Kidd and the coaching staff has talked about it, but, you know, they just, they just don't have the bodies and the size to necessarily match up with Toronto. Toronto's an excellent rebounding team. Amir Johnson, Valanchunas, Patterson, excellent rebounder. Uh, Chuck Hayes in limited action can certainly work the boards. That's been a tough area for the Nets to match up in.
0: Hi, and before we let you go, real quick, NFL on CBS, the bird and the beard coming back?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as I know, and you know, the sad part is, I don't think I'm capable of growing a beard, so <laughs> I can't even, I can't even make it the beard and the beard if I wanted to. I, I don't get the connectors. I'd have to use a sharpie to connect the mustache and the beard portion, and and that just wouldn't be a good look. But Dan Fouts has has been just a pleasure to work with. We've been together four years. This will be our fifth year together. On CBS, and he's he's become one of my best friends as well. He's a great guy, Hall of Famer without the Hall of Fame ego, and uh, just really uh, has been one of the the real highlights of my career to, to be matched up alongside him.
1: Ian, right, thank you so much for a couple minutes of your time, and we appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Guys, anytime, keep it up. Uh, I know you're you're doing great work there at Ithaca, Bruce Becks alma mater. So uh, uh, all the best, and and anytime you you want to check in again, just let me know.
1: Special thanks again to Brooklyn Nets play-by-play broadcaster Ian Eagle for taking a couple minutes to join the show. Game 5 is obviously today. We're really excited to you know, see what the Nets could do. Ian made some really interesting points. And, of course, we agreed with everything he said about the Donald Sterling situation, Dan.
0: You know, and that was the most interesting part, obviously, yesterday with that coming out and the the suspension being laid down by Adam Silver. You know, the NBA taking charge.
1: It needed to be done, but that's going to do it for us. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been another edition of the Aspen of Beauty Show.
2: listening to the
0: asmin and Budic podcast make sure you go on to itunes and subscribe to the show